Hi, Samantha. Hello. We're in person today. I actually am looking across it's my so, microphone. It's a little weird. And seeing you, it this is wild. Do you remember back in the day when you were excited to have a podcast? I barely. Yeah, I really don't either. Barely. Someone on Twitter, though, reminded <laughs> us of how excited we sounded at the very beginning. It's like, wow. We Full of possibility. We learned our lesson fast, though. Yeah, we sure did. We were so naive back then. I know. Well, hi, everyone. This is Perhaps It's You. <laughs> Your favorite Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. My name is Liz. My name is Samantha. Do you think everyone's favorite podcasts always start with the podcast hosts complaining about having a podcast? I think that... A actually... thing that they don't have to do. <laughs> they could, you know, if you don't like doing it, you could just not do it. And let down the five? I'm not sure I can oh, live with myself. I'm not sure I can live with myself. That's the thing. Um, I, I thought complaining about having a podcast was actually, like, required. I thought mm. that was law. Am oh. I mistaken? I don't, maybe, maybe I am. I'm mistaken. Oh, I guess I'll look into that later. Call my lawyer. <laughs> um, I, now I'm just, I'm just going to stare at you the whole time. Just can't believe you're really here. Oh, Lenny, pod dog Lenny was so excited that Samantha <laughs> actually came today. He was doing zoomies. Yeah. He just sat down and howled to let everyone know <laughs> she's really here. It was like a do-do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> like now the town crier. <laughs> Samantha. <laughs> Yeah, he was quite excited. Yeah, he's so cute. Where is he? I'm sure he followed Mac wherever. Oh, Mac, he's, Mac o- he's over it. He's like, yeah. all right, that was fun for five <laughs> seconds. Um, the reason we had to record in person today is because we're doing a snack time. Heck yeah, an, a rare in-person a snack rare time. rare in-person snack time thanks to listener Tawny who sent us a package from Canada because we couldn't get these Hershey's bars. I'm so excited to try these. She says, Dear Mystery Ants, here are the snacks. They're thinner than I expected, and I tried to keep my cats from sitting on them. They need to sit on every new thing I bring into the house. I sent some sheet masks, and hopefully you don't have any allergies. Keep barking, and fuck the police. Tawny. <laughs> That's how every letter should end. Yeah. So we also got, you get a pick. Oh, I'm so excited. Do you want black pearl brightening mask or glow luminous flower firming mask? I want the first one because I sometimes floral scents get to me. Here you go. Enjoy. Oh, this is beautiful packaging. It is very nice. Very luxurious. Yeah. Okay. So the reason Tawny sent us a package is because there are these two Hershey bars that are only in Canada because the U.S. is the worst. And so we have a Hershey's bar that is... Cotton candy. <laughs> yeah. And Samantha loves cotton candy things. So I yes. wanted us to try this. And then there's I'm also salted caramel toffee and I'm gonna throw caramel that one sea salt. Um, these came. They were very liquidy. They <laughs> melted. So they've been sitting in my fridge. I don't know if that made them weird or not. So Do I'm just going to say that. We'll see if that affects the flavor. Oh, I'm just going to say that up front. They're in pieces. So be careful when you open it. <laughs> I mean, they had a long journey, and that was the only way they could get to us. Okay, I'm trying the cotton candy one. This is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I want to try that one first. I can't believe you don't like it. You okay. love cotton candy. I sort candy. of like the aftertaste, but the there's a, a or maybe it's because it melted, but. I can't put my finger on the first thing that I'm hit with, but it's really gross. Oh, I don't mind it. Oh, but I hate the aftertaste. Interesting. Okay, so at first I feel like it tastes like white chocolate. And then as you go, it starts to taste like toothpaste. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's a little artificial flavor to me. I mean, which it's cotton candy, so obviously it is. But it's one of the sweetest things I've ever tasted. In my maybe life. that's the problem. It's like too sweet. Like I'm, I had the littlest sliver, and now I'm like, Bzzz. and I took a big old bite out of it because <laughs> I don't hate. I don't hate this though. Mm, yeah, I'm gonna pass on that. I'm, I'm excited shocked. to try the. I know I am too. I would assume that I was gonna love the cotton candy one. Okay, let's try this one now. Maybe it's the white chocolate mixed with the cotton candy that I don't like. It definitely has a white chocolate flavor, and then you sort of get cotton candy as you go. It's it's a really a whole journey. Yeah, almost like wine. <laughs> <laughs> We're like uh, sommeliers. Mm-hmm. Of Hershey's oh, this white is, like, chocolate. More crunchy. Okay, I'm into that. Let me see. I'm not sure that it's supposed to be. <laughs> well, it's toffee. Like I would assume, oh, assume yeah, it'd be like the toffee bits. Toss- You're right. Toffee pieces in it. Okay, this is a much more standard flavor. Again, one of the sweetest things I've ever tasted in my life. Mm, it's very buttery. Yeah, that's oh, nice. Actually, I really like this one. That's nice. This one I can get. I can get with. This is really good. I think mm. I'm gonna take a bigger bite. I've missed snack night time. Yeah, that's good. I'm also going to try these sour uh, candies that you got I, for me. Yeah, I found those in St. Paul yesterday. I can't read the Korean packaging, but it has the word sours on it really big. So, And I know Samantha loves sour candy, so I bought that I for her. I love sour candy. I love that. I mean, I can't read Korean either, so I cannot make out what flavors these are because they're not... You know how some ca- fruit candy has pictures of the fruit that it's supposed sure. to taste like? Yeah, yeah. This just has the candy. So it's just a green blob, <laughs> a red blob. I'm thinking this might be mango because it's like a orangey yellow blob and then a pink blob. So, okay. These are delicious. They're not sour at all, but they are delicious. I got these at Dragon Star Oriental Foods, which is a, a gigantic store that just goes on in every direction. And the exciting thing about it is they now have a stand that has mochi donuts. Ooh. And those are delicious. Yum. And they make them fresh there. Do you want to try these? They're yeah. super good. Let's see. There's some pictures of some fruits on the back, but it's actually covered up by the like English ingredient label. So They're very chewy. It looks like we get green apple, purple grape, lemon, and peach. I would like a peach. Okay, these are not that sour. There's just a little sour dusting. Yeah. And then this is kind of a normal gummy. And the mascots for this seem to be like a grasshopper and some sort of green blob wearing tuxedos. Which I'm not against. <laughs> yeah, I'm... <laughs> I don't know what that is. A grasshopper in a tuxedo. I don't know what that has to do with the sour candy. He Presumably loves, if we could read the packaging we would understand. But He loves sours. I guess. It says sours, sours number one. And they're holding up ones. What I love about non-American fruit candies is that they're always they always have really good flavor. Way better flavor. Much better flavor than Mac and I were just complaining the other day that American candies never come in white grape flavor. It's always purple grape. But you can get Asian candies that are huh. white grape. Interesting. And I don't understand why we don't make that. It's so good. It sounds way better than purple grape. Yeah, purple grape. No one likes is disgusting. Grape flavor but if we had white grape i mean it doesn't really taste like grape it's like its own weird thing that i don't like yeah true yeah these are good not sour but good yes thank you dragon star foods i love you okay um do we have any updates 
Mm. The problem with doing two weeks in between shows is I completely forget about <laughs> all of our updates. I can't remember anything. Just- Samantha is holding a notebook to write your own Mothman romance, which is something that went out to our patrons. What's a picture it like of me see- and sexy Mothman. <laughs> What's it like seeing this in person, Samantha? Wow, it's um, it's an experience. <laughs> I will say the notebook looks way better in person. They I'm came happy out to be really nice. It in my hand. They came out really good. I think there's 50 pages in there, so you can really you can really get writing. Illustrated me looks great. I can't complain. Um, Mothman's hairy chest is really something. <laughs> These were done by a friend of the pod, Brian Duffy. I think his website is yaduff.com, so check him out. He's a very talented illustrator. He did this for us. He did an illustration of the two of us with Robbie Stacky. Mm-hmm. He did an illustration of just Robert Stack and some mysterious mist. I love it. Hit it out of the park every time. We should really get... I, mean, I know we're very attached to our low-budget logo. <laughs> oh, you want to get our show art for our... <laughs> The one I made in, in Canva five years ago for free isn't enough. I mean, it's it's great. It served us well. But think of how professional we could look if we had him do like a... That's a really good point. Like some show art for our oh, show. Fine. I don't know. Although I don't know, like five years into this thing, if we can really step it up. Like, we've set the bar where it is. And I don't know if we want to start exceeding it. <laughs> mm. like, uh, People might start expecting more from us. I mean, I'm not against having him do it i'm just yeah yeah, exactly i'm not really willing to put in more effort myself (laughs) i'm willing to put in less effort. we want people to kind of know what they're getting into when they subscribe to this podcast which is yeah low effort though i have to say i take much better notes than i used to i learned my lesson over the the years i learned my lesson (laughs) over the years where i would i would just kind of pull up on solved mysteries wiki and just try to wing it i don't i don't i feel like you're better at that than i am though and lately i just been have been winging it and i'm not good at it and so i i disagree i think everybody loves this podcast and if they don't they can (laughs) doesn't really matter so this Oh, oh, the other, I wanted to just add one more detail about the women's voices being annoying thing. Oh, let's hear it. Which is that I learned from that, that thread, that Jane Lynch complaining about women's voices thing, that audio equipment, of course, this just never occurred to me, is specifically designed for lower voices. Oh, so, of course it is. This never occurred to me either, but yeah, duh. So, of course, lower voices sound better. It's literally, that's what is, it's literally made for male voices. So, if you have a lower voice, recording equipment is designed for a lower voice. It picks up a lower voice better. And if a higher voice sounds more annoying, it's probably because that's not really what people had in mind when they made it. Yeah, that's a really good point. So it's, again, thanks. Thanks, sexism. <laughs> thanks for that. They just reminded me of that book you read. Yeah, I was actually, I was just thinking that. What was that called? God, no. <laughs> it's something about the statistics of how everything being designed yes. for men is like literally fatal. I'll look it up and I will get it. But it's it's true. Like, there are so many things that were not designed with women, women's bodies in mind. One of them being cars, seatbelts. Right. They... We're not, you know, not designed for women, specifically, not, especially not designed for, like, say, pregnant women. Right. And so getting into a car crash as a woman, much higher chance of dying um, and all kinds of other things. That's terrifying. Yeah. Well, love that for us. Okay. So um, I don't think I had any other updates. And if I did. Oh, wait, we had a really great review. Shit. Well, we might have to just read that next week. Next time. 
It's, I was like, I'll pull it up in our conversation, but that's going to take like nine years. So <laughs> thank you for everyone that says us great reviews. And we love them. We love them. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So we are on season seven, episode 14. And Samantha goes first this week. There's no theme this week. This is just a regular old episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Yes. Um, is this an uh, missing person? Um, you know what? I don't even know. Because I don't know that we ever really know what happened. Well, we don't really know what happened. Some people don't... Okay. Some people don't look great in this segment. That's all I'm going to say. Allegedly, some people look suspiciously <laughs> guilty. <laughs> so we don't really know what happened to Pamela Page. But I feel like I'm going to read the story to you and you're going to come away with some theories. Which okay. we will not speculate. Yes, thank you. But... Mm. Map really scared me the other day because some legal podcast that he listened to hadn't had a new episode in a year and he assumed they just like got sick of doing it and it turned out that they got sued oh for saying something about a, a different lawyer oh and it was kind of a nuisance lawsuit thing i don't know that there was really like a lot of um sure validity to it he was just like pissed but then i was like oh my god mac this is going to happen to me and Samantha. And he was like, what do you say about people? Why would you get sued? I was like, we literally imply people commit murder, Mac. <laughs> Isn't that every true crime podcast, though? But it just takes one person to get mad at you to get sued. You know, that's really true. So allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> we know nothing, okay? No, and honestly, we don't. Like We're just saying what we saw in Unsolved Mysteries is a TV show, and it's entirely their fault. Yes. Everything we say, blame on them. Well, first of all, blame it on Unsolved Mysteries. Also, it's our opinion. I mean, obviously. Are are we any kind of legal expert? No. No. We're just two people who watch Unsolved Mysteries, and we don't even like Unsolved Mysteries that much. (laughs) Samantha, you're not supposed to admit that. (laughs) We did before we started making a podcast about it. It turns out when you turn the thing you like into labor, you like it less. That's the lesson we've learned. Something who could have predicted. Yeah. So yeah, we're just two people who watch a TV show and then talk about it to five people. So we are inconsequential. Oh my God, do not sue us. Also, this podcast is named, but made by Perhaps It's Us LLC. So you can't (laughs) sue us personally. You can, we'll give you all $300 in our bank account. Yeah. I, I was just like, wow, if we get sued, that's just the it. it. We just declare bankruptcy. The company declares bankruptcy. We fold up. There's no more podcasts. That's, we're done. We hand over our, our $312.14 or whatever it is. Enjoy. And <laughs> we just stop making this podcast. Yeah, it did scare me, though. Yeah. So <laughs> you'll understand why that's this is on our minds when I finish reading you the story of Pamela Page. So we're in Peoria, Arizona. I didn't know there was a Peoria, Arizona. Yeah, as someone who hails from a Peoria. I know, my whole family's from Peoria, Illinois. <laughs> Not Arizona, but... I didn't know this existed. So it's a... Well, here's how Robert Stack describes it. It's a comfortable suburb just outside of Phoenix. Uh, Pam and Rob Page moved to Peoria, Arizona in 1977, and by all accounts, their marriage was solid. On July 22nd, 1989, Rob came home to an empty house and a letter from Pam. Pam, uh-huh. Pam wrote that she had left town with a woman named Sarah. Yeah, Pam wrote that. <laughs> Got it. Uh, someone purporting to be Pam wrote that Pam had left town with a woman named Sarah and that she had been, had been planning this for a long time. Rob claimed he was embarrassed because he, he thought his wife had left him for a woman. 
He did not notify Pam's family in Arkansas that she was gone. Four days later, when Pam's oldest sister, Trina, uh, called saying, where the fuck is Pam? She was surprised to learn that Pam had disappeared. Yeah, that would be surprising. Uh huh. She says that it seemed out of character for her for her not to let anyone know where she was. She was very close with her family, um, but at first she did not think that like anything bad had happened to Pam. Um, but she did want to get word uh, to people that she was missing. So Pam's she father was probably like, "Oh, Pam needed some time away from this Rob guy. No surprise." <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean. I don't think you want to assume the worst at first, and so she didn't, but she did think that it was a little bit odd and out of character. So um, Pam's father, Willie Frisbee. No. His name, How did I miss that? His name is Willie Frisbee. No, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. Take it back. <laughs> Willie Frisbee. <laughs> that name is so funny to me. Because it's like a cartoon. <laughs> Willie Frisbee. If you put that in a book that you were, if you were writing the great American novel and you were like, and my character, Willie Frisbee, the editor would go change that immediately. No one is going to take this seriously if your Fine. character is named Willie Frisbee. W- w- William Tennis Ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Willie Frisbee asked. <laughs> no, stop it. <laughs> Yes. Stop it. To see the letter. Jimmy Pool Noodle. <laughs> no, it's not a name. How often on this show do I end up going, that's not a name? It's like every episode. <laughs> Although Willie Frisbee is a new level. <laughs> Maybe we had a we brother had, named We Jimmy had a Rusty Pool. Corvette once. <laughs> true. There is a Rusty Corvette that out there. That was a fake name, though. <laughs> that one was fake? I thought that was fake. Okay. I can't, that's a Am I thinking with the wrong Rusty? <laughs> There's been a lot of Rusties and you should trust none of them. <laughs> um, I can't remember now. I don't. I feel like you shouldn't pick that as a name, fake name because it sounds fake as hell. <laughs> you shouldn't pick Willie Frisbee either. No, obviously you should be Johnny Pool Noodle. <laughs> yeah, like a normal person. <laughs> so many- <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, God. Because, because this is the past, Rob faxed him a copy amazing willie was immediately distressed he says when he received the letter he- <laughs> yeah because he saw his own name <laughs> on his driver's license <laughs> <laughs> oh, i forgot i was named willie for the- <laughs> of course he was distressed <laughs> how well did his parents treat him if that's what they named him well he was actually distressed by pam's name on the letter so this was a, a typed letter but at the bottom You know when you're going to leave your husband and you pull out the typewriter (laughs) and you type out, I am leaving you. I'm, and it was like long too. It was like a whole page. I've been planning this for a long time. I'm going to take all the money. I'm leaving with someone named Sarah. You've never met. Very detailed. She said exactly, she, we'll get to it, but she, she outlines where she left her car. Uh, no. So, but at the bottom, there was a a handwritten signature Pam, and they show uh, a signature side by side, the signature on the letter with the signature that is known to have been Pam's, and they don't look alike. Yes. Allegedly, um, someone is not good at forging signatures. Well, not even allegedly. We'll get to it. This he admitted to. Oh, yeah, you're right. Later in the episode. Um, so this does not look like Pam's signature. And so much so that, that her dad, Willie Frisbee, immediately... <laughs> no, He was immediately distressed by the fact that he was like, this is not my daughter's signature. 
Um, also, I just, I find the idea, I think if you're going to leave your husband in the letter, you would fucking write it by hand. Unless there's some reason why you couldn't do that. It was a long letter. I mean, her hand would get tired. But I don't know. It seems very formal to me that you would type yes. it out and then sign it like you're applying for a job. <laughs> yes. Like you're it's weird. Like you're old school mailing in your cover letter in like the literal mail. It's weird. It also just it's almost like, OK, this is, again, speculation on my part. But you know how when some people lie, they like spin a yarn yes. where there's so many details because you're like, well, I have to make this sound convincing. So I'm going to put in this is where I left the car. I took this amount of money and I'm leaving with a woman named Sarah. <laughs> it's like it's a little bit too deep. Whereas I feel like if you were leaving your husband, you would just be like. See you never. You would take a, a, a <laughs> napkin out. Yeah, you would bring. You would get, grab a napkin and be like, "I'm leaving your ass, Pam." You know, and then like, I loved you once, but this isn't working. Bye. Bye. Right. Um. Yes. So he dug out some birthday cards that had written by Pam and compared the signature, and it wasn't even close. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's. Fu- it's like he didn't even try. No. I mean, you when you look at them side by side, you can sort of see how someone like how. They were trying to emulate Pam's signature, but there's just parts of it that are just like, this isn't how she wrote her P. Like, yeah, okay, anyway. I'm going to confess something right now, Whoa. which is that on basically any card, this is to my family, any card you have ever received from me and Mac that is signed by me and then Mac. Are you just scribbling Mac? Yeah. <laughs> I do. That. This is a confession to my family that doesn't watch this. Who doesn't listen <laughs> to this, but yeah, I do the same thing. I scribble. I like, I, I like <laughs> use my left hand. <laughs> <laughs> I will do my, I will write Liz in cursive, and then I will put a little and, and then I will write Mac in all caps. And so, and I've been doing this our entire relationship. So it's very possible that you do not have an example of Mac's handwriting, and you think that you do. See, this, I mean, you've admitted this in the podcast now, but if <laughs> Mac were to up and leave and leave a typed out no with Mac signed at the okay, bottom. Okay, I think we and all you- agree that, that would be weird if he typed it out, printed it, and then just in all block caps at the bottom, Mac. <laughs> It'd be very odd. Well, to now his family isn't going to, they're going to, you know. It's going to look just like his alleged signature, even though it's been your signature all along. I literally started doing it for our wedding thank you cards and never stopped. <laughs> so, sorry. It's just convenient. Sometimes, look. Sometimes- I'm really going to go get him from the other room and bring the pet. <laughs> like, no. No, just be glad you got a card. <laughs> <laughs> That's my confession for today. All right, so here's the first, maybe the second shady thing. So Rob told Pam's family that he had filed a missing persons report, but when one of Pam's sisters called the local police, she discovered they had never even heard of Pam before, and there was no such case opened. Um, that was um, foolish. Yes. So detectives began their investigation by questioning Rob Page. He told them that on the day of Pam's disappearance, he had gone to several auto parts stores. Um... Did I? There was a part before this. I don't know if I wrote it down. Like the night before she, like according to Rob, the night before she was like ill and on the couch. Oh, yeah. And they owned a video store, which seems to have been like a very successful (laughs) based on their like their cars and how much money they had in the safe. How much money they had in the safe. This video store was. Making bank. Was I, making bank in Peoria, Arizona. I loved all the reenactment shots of the video store. It's so good. 
Did you? How, how did you feel about his truck that had like the name of the video store on the side with like? I liked when Robert Stack was like he had a very distinctive truck and then showed us the picture and you're like, yep. <laughs> the point being, like, if that was parked somewhere for hours, like probably someone would have noticed. But yeah, it's it's a pickup. It's a large pickup truck, particularly it's for the time. It's painted like blue and green, and, and it has the logo for the video store quite large on the entire side. And I feel like maybe there was like like a decal of like something dripping yeah like- it was i i they didn't get a close-up shot shot so i couldn't really tell but it was almost like vi- some sort of video equipment or something yeah yeah like it was a very distinctive logo so anyway so she's ill the night before she leaves and uh sleeps on the couch she says her back is hurting she's apparent according to him oh, my like back is hurting i want the supportive couch yeah i didn't understand this look not very little of the story makes sense so uh she's according to rob on the couch Going when he sees her, she's like going through family photos or something and crying. And then when asked about it, she says she wasn't feeling well. Her back hurts. She's sleeping on the couch the next morning. She's like folding clothes, but she still isn't feeling well. He offers to um, go open the video store for her. So that's where we pick up. Um, And he tells detectives that on the day, so when he comes home from the wherever he so he left to go to the video store. He comes home eight hours later, and that's when he finds this note like on the floor in front of the front door Hmm. so detectives are asking him like what were you doing during that time the day of pam's disappearance and he says that his truck had this issue with the ignition where it wouldn't start and so he says he drives all over got he went to several auto parts stores looking for the correct part um he says during this time he called home and got no answer um he eventually had to call for a taxi according to him because his truck would not start um and he says that he never went into the house, only the garage. He got the part for his truck and rode his bike back to the store. Oh, this is so complicated. Again, the, it be complicated. <coughs> Things, stories usually do not continue to get more complicated as people ask questions if they're true. They simplify. Yeah. But when things are lies and you ask questions in order to make it come together, they, they tend to get more and more complicated. Well, the other thing that this is doing, and I don't feel like I'm laying it out very well, but like his truck is parked in front of the house all day, even though he says that he went to open the video store right. because witnesses see it. And so he has to explain why his truck is parked in front of his house all day. And what he says is that when he his truck has this issue and has had this issue for a while in which it doesn't like the ignition doesn't start and so he says that he was unable to find the right part and so he ended up getting a taxi and going home and getting his bike and then taking the bike to the video store and this is why and you know this could be true this is why um my truck is in front of the house all day because of course if you were Right, helping right, your right. wife disappear maybe you would be home that day and not at the video store and so he has to explain that and that's where this complicated story comes from um okay so he got the part for his truck rode his bike back to the store whatever when the truck finally started he drove home and that's when he found the letter in it pam stated that uh she had taken all of their money sixty thousand dollars in cash out of the safe at the video store rob said he went to the store and confirmed that the cash was gone so the letter also stated that Pam had left the couple's Corvette at the local donut shop. Why? <laughs> she wanted a donut for her journey. I don't. And then was like, also, I don't want this car. I do want a donut. Not the car, though. Bye. If you were going somewhere, you would think you'd take the car. But, <laughs> but he wants it. He wasn't willing to part. Allegedly. <laughs> so allegedly, he wasn't willing to part with the Corvette. 
even if it it would have made the story more believable, allegedly. Yeah. So Rob claimed that he found the car the next day at the donut shop where she had said it was. Soon, the police began to question the details of Rob's story. So, for instance, none of the employees at the last auto parts store remembered uh, Rob being there or anyone else looking for that part. Um, which was an ignition switch, apparently. Uh, there was another problem with Rob's story. He had said that his truck, which was very distinctive, was parked at the <laughs> store for nearly four hours that afternoon, but none of the employees ever recalled seeing the truck in front of the store or anyone working on it. Okay, so I got that part wrong. Uh, it wasn't that they saw his car at the house. It's that it wasn't where he said it was, which was right. at the store all day. Uh, finally, three weeks after Pam disappeared, the Arizona State Crime Lab confirmed that the signature on the letter was almost certainly not Pam's. No. Oh. Great work. We hear from a detective sergeant, Doug Hittlebrandt, who questioned Rob on this issue and says that Mr. Page refused to believe me and was adamant that his wife had in fact signed the letter. After continuing to question Mr. Page about the signature on the letter, he eventually admitted to me that he in fact did sign the letter. So this is what I said earlier, which is that he admits that he signed it. Uh, but according to him, it was just like trying to make it more believable or something. He found the letter on the computer, not printed out. For some reason, added a couple closing sentences, printed it out, and signed it. Yeah, the story changes. So originally, it was that he came home after eight hours of doing all this stuff and found the letter on the floor in front of the front door. After it is, he admits that he had, in fact, signed it, he found the letter on the computer printed it out and then confronted his wife about it and she got upset so i named doug's cop mustache what did you name it you bore me <laughs> it's a really standard it was so cop boring mustache. that i didn't even i don't even remember that's it. literally what i named it rob there's a reenactment rob and i also named his mustache which oh. is this guy <laughs> it's like almost you have to say it while rolling your eyes yeah or you, you don't need pronounce to get it right the, you need this to get the guy tone. yeah that's what it's named yeah um Obviously, I didn't name real Rob's mustache because he's a dirtbag and he doesn't serve it. So this was a stunning turnaround, enough to make Rob Page a suspect. Suddenly, he began to tell a completely different story. So this is what I said. Now, Rob insisted that he had actually found the letter in the family computer a few days before Pam disappeared, stating that she would be leaving him. He also claimed that he confronted his wife upon discovering the letter. According to Rob's new story, a few days after the confrontation, he came home to find the house a mess. Mm-hmm. Rob told police that most of Pam's clothes were gone, along with the family pictures and one of their dogs. Um, what was their dog's name? It was like a video name. Oh, shoot. No, I'm not going to remember. Oh. It was so funny. It was really funny. I don't remember. Let's just pretend it was Betamax. <laughs> that wasn't it, though. It wasn't, but it was some sort of video apparently this video store was their whole life very funny so pam's credit cards and house keys were on the kitchen table but rob couldn't find her driver's license actually betamax is such a good name for a dog someone please name their dog betamax well you're gonna have to get a third dog now and name it that it's like max but better yeah it's so good (laughs) let us name your dog yeah, that's that sh- a service we can provide. If you yeah. sign up for the Lenny Briscoe fan say, club level. I was going to say, that should be a bonus for the Lenny Briscoe fan club level. We'll name your dog. Month, we will name your dog. Even if you don't have a dog, if you just want a good name to like keep in your back pocket from when you yeah, get one. Absolutely. Just Actually, we'll name other pets too. Do you have a lizard? We'll name your lizard. Absolutely. So, let it, send, us, send it in. <laughs> so, the Perhaps Sue podcast pet naming service. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's what? like cameo, only better. Your your lizard is now named TJ Maxx. <laughs> your other lizard, Home Goods. <laughs> oh, really? For some reason, hot dog was the only thing that I could think of. For a lizard? Yeah. I like that for a this lizard. This is my lizard hot dog. This is my lizard hot dog. This is my lizard Willie Frisbee. 
<laughs> and Johnny Pool Noodle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's, there's been some great names on this show. Yeah, we're the same. We're so good. You've been practicing your whole life because you've been naming these mustaches. My whole life, yeah. Your whole life you've been naming mustaches. <laughs> I, I just This is they, canon they, now. The names just come to me from yeah. the ether. The same thing with pet names. Yeah. You're not... You're, <laughs> Your TJ Max. Your lizard is named Johnny Pool Noodle now. <laughs> okay, so uh, Rob claims that after making these discoveries, he decided to act. He went downstairs and added four sentences to the letter on the computer. Why would you do that? <laughs> printed it out and signed Pam's name. I assume the sentences he added were "I'm like I'm leaving you" or something. Like what? I don't even know. He you were the best lover I ever had, and yet I must go. <laughs> I was so confused about why your dick was so big. <laughs> you had such an awesome truck. <laughs> you just have, I mean, you have the best personality and I, there's really not a single flaw. Everything. <laughs> this is all me. I just need to find myself with my lesbian lover, Sarah. I loved your mustache. Yeah. If only it could be all mustaches and video stores and dogs with cool names. But alas, <laughs> I must go. The wind is calling. I'm going to need you to, like, write <laughs> a weirdly specific, too long, too detailed goodbye letter. <laughs> I'm trying to think sign of how. It, you could sign it Willy Pool Noodle or whatever. <laughs> I'm trying Johnny to Pool. think how that could possibly be a coloring sheet. I don't know how you can color a goodbye letter. It, but. Could, be what, it could be like a Mad Lib. <gasps> yes. Okay, that's So you happen. have to put in a noun and <laughs> the then you goodbye have... letter mad lib. And then I want I want people to fill up fill up so instead of a coloring sheet, I mean you can have coloring elements, but it could be a mad lib and then I want to see your mad libs. Yes, that's a, such a good idea. I love it. So look for that. Okay, so yeah, blah blah, blah he added to the letter, signed it. Uh, he then drove her Corvette to the donut shop, went to the payphone across the street and called a taxi. Why again? Why? I, I don't know because unless the the car at the donut shop was part of what he added, like you're to assume that she fault that she did what she said she was going to do in the letter, right? Right. So why would he have to do it? I don't know. He must have added that part. I, I do not. But then again, why? <laughs> See what I'm saying? This is allegedly suspicious. So Mr. Page stated that he fabricated some of the things he did because no one, quote, no one would ever believe him that his wife had in fact left him. Why? Why was that he so was, hard to believe? Because he was the best Rob. husband ever, Liz. And so no one would believe. Just look at my truck him. and my Corvette. <laughs> no woman would ever go. <laughs> so, um... Due to Mr. Page's inconsistent statements, this is uh, Detective Hildebrandt again, the suspicious circumstances surrounding the disappearance of his wife, he was offered a polygraph examination on several occasions to eliminate him as a suspect in his wife's disappearance, and he declined, you know, they're, whatever. That's probably a good thing. That was smart on his move. So, um, despite the suspicions about Rob Page, police found no evidence that he had done anything wrong except to change his story. No charges were filed, and the investigation ground to a halt. As a last resort, Pam's sister, Jimmy Rice. It's not as weird as Willie 
Trust me, but uh, she consulted. Nothing will ever be as weird as that. She consulted Carol Pate, a psychic in Little Rock, Arkansas. Pate had worked with the Little Little Rock police for 10 years, which is very troubling, working only from a photo of Pam. The psychic said that she saw Pam with a man in what appeared to be Pam's house. The two were arguing. Carol claims she saw the man knock Pam to the floor and suffocate her with a pillow. Mm-hmm. Another female came and assisted him in placing her in the trunk. She said the two drove somewhere and that she saw the name Coolidge and the numbers 241. She then saw a gray factory near a railroad. Finally, the man pulled out, removed the body, and began to dig. Okay. Wow, this is distressing. Jana Thorson, an Arizona newspaper res- reporter covering Pam's disappearance, followed up on these clues. She found a gray factory building near some railroad tracks in Peoria. Nearby, she found a sign with the numbers 241. A route that ran from Bob and Pam's house to the home of a friend passed both of these sites and ended at a street named Coolidge. However, there is no way to evaluate Carol Pate's information until it is known whether Pam Page met with foul play or chose to disappear. As for Rob Page, he still insists that his wife is alive. Rob Page has since divorced his missing wife. Police say he is no longer a suspect in the case, but they still have no idea what happened to Pam Page. Let me look at the Unsolved Mysteries wiki and see if there's an update. Yeah, I mean, why would he have anything to do? do with it it's suspicious i'm just gonna it's suspicious <laughs> the fact that he changed his story the fact that he admits to filling in details in this letter and signing it and planting evidence it's like it's just there doesn't seem to be any other suspects oh he's dead oh so he can't sue us so um <laughs> <laughs> uh, So this is unresolved. Rob passed away from cancer in 2009 and was never charged in Mm -hmm. Pam's case. Some reports claim that he was cleared as a suspect, while others state that police still consider him a suspect in her disappearance. Oh, you don't say. In July 2017, almost 28 years to the day of Pam's disappearance, her family received a formal letter from the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. The letter states that based on new interviews and investigations, if Robert Page was alive today, he would have been charged with second-degree murder in Pam's case. Oh. Due to his death, the office considers the case closed, However, her family is still hoping to find her remains. Sadly, oh, Pam's so sad. Sadly, Willie Frisbee has left us. He passed away. I'm sorry we laughed at your name, Willie Frisbee. I, I, I in my defense, what choice did I have? But rest in peace. Yes. Okay, now we have an unexplained death. I will say right off the bat that I did not name any mustaches in this segment. There were a lot of them, but they were mostly on people who tragically died, and so my heart just was not in it. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's not. No, it's not. There's no mustache naming. So just after Thanksgiving, November 29th, 1988, Fire trucks raced to extinguish two small blazes burning at the edge of Kansas City. One fire quickly got out of control after an unexpected explosion. As a result, five fire fire that's hard to say. Five firefighters that is a tongue twister. lost their lives. Michael Oldman, Robert McCarran, James Kivelton, Gene Hurd, Thomas Fry, and Gerald Halloran. All were married and all had children. Unfortunately, this fire was deliberately set, making their deaths murder. Robert Stack called this Kansas City's most notorious unsolved crime, but by this point, it has been solved. So, here's what happened. Uh, The fire was first reported by two construction workers at 3.40 in the morning. Not really sure why they were there. They should have... I thought these were security guards. Oh, maybe. Maybe they were security guards for the construction site. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were security okay, guards. Okay. So they call in a fire at 3.40 in the morning because one of their pickup trucks was engulfed in flames. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. They were security guards for the construction company, not like laborers okay so they saw um so okay so their one of their pickup trucks was on fire and they also saw about 50 yards away there was a second fire near a storage trailer the firefighters quickly responded to the call they were out the door in 90 seconds from the very beginning it looked like arson because the two fires appeared to start suspiciously at the same time right. uh, which probably wouldn't really happen uh, on its own at first there was one fire truck working on the truck and then the second fire truck was called to work on this second fire that was by the trailer after about eight minutes the truck fire was done and both fire trucks were working on the fire on the trailer the construct the security guards who called in the fire warned the firemen that there were explosives on the construction site um this seems to be there was sort of an error in in um communication the security guards told the firework the firefighters that there were explosives on the site the captain the fire captain assumes that they were safely contained in these metal sheds called bunkers Mm -hmm. which are specifically for storing explosives in the event of fires so that they don't get more out of control right and they saw that there were two of these bunkers on site and they assumed that all of the explosives were in there but the security guards were actually trying to warn them that they believed there was also explosives inside the trailer but this information didn't get to the firefighters working in time um so the trailer exploded and this explosion was huge i don't know how they did the reenactment for this this reenactment they must have had a lot of fun yeah creating this well because it's something that was seen and heard for miles around right. so you get this shot of like an old lady looking out her window and just and like, like a mushroom cloud <laughs> just like a giant orange blaze going up in the night sky i don't know um there was also a second smaller explosion about 40 minutes later yeah this was this was hard because these firefighters responded to the explosion and they knew that you know they knew each other and so they knew right. that in there their fellow firefighters could be hurt but they weren't able to go in because they were afraid of a second explosion and in fact there was one yeah so it it's good that um they were cautious and actually will learn that even if they had risked their own it it was too late so there was no need for them to put themselves in danger and there probably would have been even more deaths yep the next day atf joined the local police to start sorting through the wreckage for clues the devastation was massive in total. No one could have survived that first blast, which is why I was saying it's good that the resp- responders didn't try to go in and save them because they could have been killed in that second explosion and there's no way anyone could have survived. We hear from one of those responders that he was in the Vietnam War and had seen explosion la- explosion craters left by by bombers and that these were larger. Wow. So there, it's a pretty massive... <laughs> how could they be storing i mean it's wild to me that they were able to store these like massive amount of explosions explosives in a trailer that's like not labeled or like yeah it's really i mean i wonder if like things changed as a result of this because i mean obviously they weren't following protocol because the explosives should have been in those bunkers i'm wondering if they had even more explosives and would fit and they were like planning to get another one or something right they just got kind of sloppy um but yeah it's in a way it's sort of the construction company's fault that this fire was so deadly because they were not following the rules um 
Okay, so we hear from the police that one potential... Okay, sorry, I got to have myself. Um, the public was outraged by the death of these firefighters and were very eager to help. They were contacted with hundreds of potential leads. One of those potential leads was the possibility that this was a labor issue. There had recently been conflicts between union and non-union construction companies in the area. Examples were damaging equipment with acid, putting dirt into diesel lines, and even setting equipment on fire. So the police theorized that if it had not been for the death of these firefighters, which presumably the people setting the fire didn't know there was explosives in the trailer, right? Like, you wouldn't think it would cause right. that kind of impact. Like, they could have exploded things if they wanted to. Yeah. They set a fire. They were expecting to burn things down. So if it wasn't for the death of these firefighters, would it have seemed like a very similar incident to these sure. union disputes? But it turns out that that's not what it was. So the update is that after the story aired, five suspects were arrested and found guilty on federal arson charges. They were George Frank Shepard, his brother Earl, their nephew Brian Shepard, Frank Shepard's girlfriend Darlene Edwards, and just someone named Richard Brown. Otherwise, a family affair. Um, At trial, prosecutors claimed the fires were set as an attempt to steal dynamite and equipment. How would a fire help you do that? Not really sure. (laughs) But I don't think they found anything to the union theory. Okay, so gotcha. it was like they were trying to... St- I don't know if it was supposed to be a distraction for the security people. Okay, maybe. That like while they're putting out the fires, that they're like, oh no, my truck's on fire. And then they don't notice what they're stealing. Yeah. To distract... I don't know. They mm-hmm. didn't... Unsolved Mysteries didn't really give us much detail on the prosecution's case um each of them was sentenced to life earl is now deceased brian went on to serve 22 years and was released with a reduced sentence i assume everyone else is still in prison okay it's a sad case it's so sad it's not something we've really had before i don't think no yeah this is a unique one they show it was so sad when they show the like memorial service for them and like that school football field or whatever and how everyone came out and their families were so upset and yeah lots of mustaches as you can imagine from a a (laughs) firefighter mystery but yeah my no my heart wasn't in it sorry yeah um go ahead okay so our last mystery is i'm honestly this is a unexplained death or a missing person i'm i keep not writing these down and not remembering um, oh, I have no idea. This was our debonair drug dealer, Wallace oh, Thrasher. Oh, yes, the gentleman drug dealer. Yes. <laughs> the mystery is, how can one man be so cool? <laughs> so on October 17, 1984, in Western Virginia's remote mountain wilderness. Okay, wait. There's so much on Unsolved Mysteries Wiki about this oh. firefighter thing. Should I read this? Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Sorry. So um, I should have looked this up sooner, but results captured as a result of the podcast. Five people were uh, indicted for arson and murder. We already talked about that. Uh, Over the years, investigators heard from multiple witnesses who claimed the suspects had bragged about setting the fires, which, whoa. (laughs) Not something to brag about. Killed five people. Also, everyone in town, like, these seemed like very... No one writes a song called Fuck the Fire Department, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, firefighters are heroes, yeah. Yeah, people, they were like beloved people in town with families. Like, everyone missed them. It wasn't like people were like, good, glad they're gone, right? Like, this was a, a tragedy felt by the whole city. Yeah, not something you brag about in a Going bar. Going around like, ooh, I set those fires that killed those five nice men. <laughs> anyway. So, um, several came forward as a result of the podcast. Investigators determined that the fires were a 
deliberately set as an attempt to steal equipment and dynamite from the construction site. At the trial, dozens of witnesses testified against the suspects. (laughs) I love that everyone hated them. Um, Other evidence, including statements by them, were also brought up. In 1995, Darlene made a tape-recorded statement with investigators claiming that she drove Brian and Richard to the construction site where they planned to set fires to distract the security guards while they stole equipment. Look at me. I'm so smart. Okay. Other witnesses claimed that she had confessed to helping steal equipment and tools from the construction site. So how involved Darlene was apparently was up for a debate. 15, 15 witnesses also <laughs> testified that Richard said that he went to the construction site to steal equipment and had taken part in setting the fires. Seven witnesses testified that Earl had admitted to being involved in the fires and stealing equipment. 13 witnesses testified <laughs> to the admissions made by Brian, including that he had helped set the fires as a diversion for the security guards, but he had been haunted by the firefighters' deaths. 12 witnesses testified, oh my goodness, to admissions by George, including that he had set the fires, blah, 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 that he had someone drive them to the site, that he was unable to open the truck or the trailer to get the equipment. So it sounds like it didn't even, like, work. Wow, great well, plan. why would it? I mean, yeah. I don't understand how fire plays into a robbery in any way, but whatever. Along with the suspect's admissions to others, prosecutors introduced other crucial testimony. Darlene's daughter, Becky, testified that she had seen all suspects together one week before the fire, talking about their plans to steal equipment from the construction site. Other witnesses also saw them together in the weeks preceding and preceding and after the fire. Furthermore, a witness testified to... this. Does, they had so much evidence in this. <laughs> I love that it's like, well, then 15 people came forward. We had them I'm, all testify about how I know this you is are. not how it works, but I'm imagining just a parade of people walking <laughs> yeah. into the courtroom. It's like, did you see this too? Yes. Okay. You? Yes. Okay. Um, furthermore, a witness testified to seeing Richard's truck speeding away from the site just minutes after the first explosion. George and Earl were also seen at their mother's house shortly after the explosion, and she lived just minutes away from the site. Finally, a witness claimed to have seen Brian and Richard together a few hours after the fire. They both smelled like gasoline. Brian had several unexplained cuts and abrasions. All fi- five sus- like, Wow, that's a lot of evidence. Yes. They seem extremely guilty. All five suspects were found guilty and sentenced to a life in prison. However, in 2007, a former employee of the construction site came forward to suggest that others may have been involved in the arson including the two security guards who were at the construction site the night of the explosion Hmm. the former employee claimed to see one of them running away from a burning truck that night so there's a currently a police investigation going into that interesting earl died in 2009 at the age of 49 brian served his 22 years blah blah blah. okay all right sorry to interrupt you no that's all right so, yes, this is Wallace Thrasher, our debonair drug dealer. Oh, how is he so cool? The squirrel. <laughs> that was his nickname, everyone. The squirrel. Robert Stack really enjoys saying his nickname in this, in this <laughs> segment. He, talking about how the squirrel scampered away and such. So, on October 17th, 1984, in Western Virginia's remote mountain wilderness, state troopers arrived on the scene of a small airplane crash. 
Still strapped into the cockpit was a body, charred beyond recognition. In the back of the plane, 1,200 pounds of, quote, high-grade marijuana, mm. worth more than $1 million. Do you think Robert Stack tested some of that marijuana? Himself. And he was like, oh, He this was is- there in the remote <laughs> Virginia wilderness, <laughs> He's like, sampling. Is- You're right. This is primo shit. High-grade. Eventually, authorities would connect both the plane and the dead pilot to Wallace Thrasher of... Bland County, Virginia. What a name. Bland, Bland County. County. I'm never moving there. I'm going to say Bland right County. If you live in Bland County, let us know what it's like. Is it really bland? You only, you can't put salt on any of your food. <laughs> the law. No flavoring. Yeah. Yeah. So in high school, Thrasher was a member of the Key Club and the Latin Club. He played on the football team and earned the nickname The Squirrel for his ability to outrun trouble. That's- pretty solid nickname it's silly but it's like for a good reason do you think robert stack kind of like could see himself a little bit in the squirrel i assume he's like if if my life had taken a slightly different turn he would be a gentleman drug dealer right uh yeah because robert stack repeatedly tells us how suave this this young man was uh maybe he's fallen in love just a little bit a little bit just a tiny bit uh thrasher he wanted some of that high grade marijuana yeah exactly (laughs) he was like wait how good was it tell me where where is it now (laughs) it's just in an evidence locker that's a waste people send me evidence all the time (laughs) yeah let me touch the evidence i want to get my fingerprints all over it. this would really enhance the broadcast if i had a brick in (laughs) i bet he tried he was like, uh, he's he, in the writer's room. Like, how can we, how can we get a prop? It's a prop. It's just gonna be a prop, guys. Don't worry. Don't worry about what happens to it after the broadcast no, no. is done. Thrasher didn't seem the type who would end up peddling drugs. I don't know what that means, but somewhere along the line, uh, his life took quote a wrong turn. Oh my god! Beginning in the seventies, Thrasher allegedly built an operation that flew tons of marijuana and cocaine to- into the western region of Virginia. Distributors then smuggled the drugs north to Chicago, Detroit, and other big cities. According to W.J. Evans of the Virginia State Police, Thrasher often piloted the plane himself. Quote, he wasn't afraid to let anybody or everybody know what he was doing. Basically, everyone that had contact with him at the airport and in the areas where he was doing his drug business knew he was transporting drugs. (laughs) I don't know picturing this guy at his high school reunion and they're like oh it's a squirrel what are you up to these days and he's like oh i'm a debonair drug dealer <laughs> i fly my own plane it's fucking boss it's full of drugs you it's have no idea how much so cocaine much drugs. i am flying around the life <laughs> you knew the squirrel would go off to great things and i have you know what's funny is that my very, the very next night line in my notes is thrasher used the drug money to live the good life oh see so he yeah. really was he and his wife owned a 10-acre country estate and basked in opulence and luxury, according to Robert Stack. So I think he is great. a little in love. I think Robert Stack is Robert like, Stack is like, does me. someone need to take over his company? <laughs> I was like, Robert Stack, I think you are basking in opulence. Are you <laughs> okay? Yeah. <laughs> With his six yachts. Yeah, that we made up that he has. <laughs> He's like, I had to leave my poolside of my mansion to come film Put on this. this trench coat, yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you work for like 45 minutes per episode. <laughs> I think you're okay. Basking in opulence and luxury. Yeah, that does describe Robert Stack. Uh, also, the squirrel. 
Uh, for 10 years, Thrasher s- stayed two steps ahead of the law until the night of October 17, 1984. <laughs> Just sounds like a phrase from like a old country song. Two steps ahead two of the law. Two steps ahead of the law. When one of his pilots slammed an airplane full of marijuana into the mountainside. Well, don't do that. That's a bad idea. No, it'd be bad for business. Yeah. Who are you going to sell that marijuana to? Now the feds have it. Uh, so and they're just going to steal it. They don't pay. <laughs> Two weeks later, investigators finally proved that Thrasher owned the plane. Detectives were planning to move in, but then an article appeared in the local paper stating that Wallace had died in another plane crash, this one in Jamaica. So it's a little confusing, but there's two plane crashes. That is, I was confused about that. Um, this one that, that crashed in Virginia seems like it wasn't him. Although I don't think that they were, I don't know that they were ever able to identify the pilot. Um, and then there's Oh, this it was me. Other. I'm um, real bad at flying pale planes. And I might I even say. be, I might even be confusing this. Let me read out my notes because I don't know if this other plane crash was real or if the paper was confused. Um, but if, well, I mean, we know that you were flying the plane, so. <laughs> yeah. I'm the flying squirrel. You're the, <laughs> why didn't they call him the, well, I guess he got this nickname in high school. He wasn't yeah, flying he wasn't drug flying planes yet. then, so, but it does seem like he was the flying squirrel. Sh- they should have upgraded the they nickname. They should have painted a squirrel with a little helmet on the side of the plane. Yes. The little, and then the little, the little scarf blowing behind. Yeah. yeah. And then it should have said drugs inside since he was <laughs> Not shy about telling people. The little arrow pointing to the car. Honestly, if you painted that on the side of the plane, they probably would think you wouldn't have drugs inside, right? You know what? Hide in plain sight. I think think maybe just... Get all of your drug smuggling advice from this podcast. Definitely. I mean, I haven't been caught once. (laughs) I also haven't smuggled any drugs, but, you know details yeah virginia authorities tried to interview thrasher's widow but she never made herself available she remained in seclusion but produced a death certificate documenting her husband's fatal crash in jamaica police were police were able to prove that the death certificate was fraudulent they also found no evidence of the jamaican crash see this is where i was even confused um there's also no witnesses to this (laughs) alleged jamaican crash this seems to not be real um believing that thrasher was still alive the police filed charges against him eventually his wife agreed to tell investigators all she knew when talking about the crash in virginia she said that there had been a second pilot on board the aircraft the pilot was injured badly but managed to drag himself to a payphone and call thrasher thrasher picked him up at the very moment police were racing racing to the crash scene he knew that the plane could be traced back to him and only a matter of time before it was only a matter of time before the authorities would be knocking at his door. Yeah, because he painted the flying squirrel drugs inside on the side of the plane. Well, there was also the million dollars worth of marijuana scattered across the, the mountainside. It had his home address painted on the bottom of the plane. Yep, the picture of like, the painted squirrel also. <laughs> he was like, they'll know it was me. I wonder how. Thrasher took the pilot to an out-of-state hospital, then dropped out of sight. Thrasher's wife said he suffered, he stuffed a quarter of a million dollars in in, in cash in a travel bag and left Virginia for Belize in Central America. She thought her husband was planning to buy a load of marijuana and return to the United States, but some think that the squirrel never intended to come home and that $250,000 was a down payment on a new life. Whoa. About a week later, Mrs. Thrasher received a call. I don't know why that's 
funny to me. Mrs. Squirrel. Mrs. Thrasher. Mrs. Squirrel. That'd be a good, like, pro wrestling name. Mrs. Thrasher? Yeah. Thrasher is a good name. Yeah. It's not like Frisbee. No, Thrasher's good. Yeah, Thrasher will instill some some dread um so mrs thrasher received a call from one of her husband's associates the man told her that her husband had been killed in a plane crash on takeoff planes crashing all over yeah jeez. agent donald lincoln of the drug enforcement agency described this crash the fire had been so intense that literally the plane was burned down to the outline of a plane on the ground and that there would be very little for them to send back and no reason for her to come down so no 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 don't worry. This yeah. plane crash actually happened, but the plane is destroyed. He's there's gone. No, he's only he's dust. There's no evidence. Don't even bother. Don't even worry about your husband who's completely incinerated. You don't have to pay for cremation because there's just it's all, ashes. It's taken care of. Yeah. Thrasher's wife finally admitted that she had bought a fake death certificate and concocted the tale of the Jamaican plane crash. She said that she was worried that her property would be confiscated if the authorities found out her husband was on a drug run when he died. Then, in May of 1986, one of Thrasher's former associates showed up. He had something he claimed was recovered in the crash. It was Wallace Thrasher's wedding ring. The ring was in perfect condition. The inscription is sharp as the day it had been engraved. Agent Donald Lincoln of the Drug Enforcement Agency was suspicious of this, thinking that, you know, this plane had burned so hot <laughs> that it's amazing that this un tarnished ring <laughs> was able sure. to be recovered not a piece of ash caught in that engraving right did thrasher really die in a fiery plane crash in the jungles of central america or no. did the squirrel once again dash to freedom that's why they call him the squirrel uh, yep um he was able to outrun the law uh agent donald lincoln says that i think at the time that mr thrasher disappeared he was facing a lot of different problems and it may have been oppor- opportune for him to as they say exit stage left who says that? Uh, this guy. Let me look at the wiki. I... What happened? What happened to the squirrel? Where is he now? Where is the squirrel? Do you think he's still living a life of opulence and luxury? I assume so. Nice. Unresolved. In August 2015, prosecutors dropped all of the charges against Wallace, citing unspecified evidence that he is dead. The decision was made after a routine open case review. Prosecutors stated that even if he is alive, it would be difficult to convict him because too much time has passed and witnesses have died or are no longer available. Most investigators now believe that he probably died in the Belize plane crash. However, ne- that's the third plane crash. Either- okay. However, neither he nor his remains have ever been located. In 2020, author uh, Ron Peterson Jr. <coughs> released a book about the case titled Chasing the Squirrel. Amazing. He learned about the case while working on a book for another Virginia case. He interviewed Wallace's family and friends, former drug smuggling associates, and several former investigators. A Los Angeles film company acquired the rights to the book as is currently producing a multi-episode documentary what? series about it called Where's Wally? Most of those interviewed in the book will also be interviewed on camera for the series. Um, I'm disappointed they didn't incorporate the word squirrel into the title. Yeah, me too. Most of Wallace's loved ones, including um, his their children, uh, his children, maintain that he died in the Belize crash, while others believe that he faked his death and may still be alive. Peterson believes that he initially faked his death, but actually died sometime later. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, even if you fake your death, I guess eventually, eventually you will die. Eventually so, you yeah. die. His family still hopes to find his remains if there's anything left and bring him back to the United States for burial. Hmm. Well, so look for Where's Wally on Netflix or wherever the fuck that's going to be. Yeah. R.I.P. Squirrel. R.I.P. to the squirrel. Or not. Maybe he's still out there scampering around. Yeah. 
enjoying his primo marijuana. Yeah, probably. Okay, so we have one last case. This is the last love. This is kind of my new favorite case. Oh, I forgot about the last love in this one. It's short, but hilarious. So Robert Stack says, what are the odds that someone in the world looks exactly like you? One in a million? One in 50 million? Is this a fact or fiction opening? I know. What is this? It basically is. The chances of standing nose to nose with your double seem beyond calculation. And then the camera pans, but it pans to Robert Stack. <laughs> it's a camera trick. It's like he's there. No, he's there. He's his own double. This is some Jonathan Frakes shit. It really is. Okay, so this is the story of a young soldier named Ken Palmer. In December 1943, Ken was a second lieutenant in the Army Air Corps traveling from Texas to Wisconsin in uniform. During a quick stop to change trains in Cincinnati, Ken had, quote, the most remarkable encounter of his life. Ken, Ken could feel that someone was staring at him, and when he looked around, he saw another soldier who looked exactly like him, <laughs> staring at him. Like, they both were like, holy shit, that guy looks exactly like me. And they were just standing there flabbergasted. They're all dressed alike because they're both soldiers. Yeah. This is wild. They had slightly different uniforms, but otherwise looked exactly the fucking same. And they, the reenactment is them just standing there staring at each other, both putting their bags down in unison and literally just <laughs> standing there. <laughs> Um, and then they slowly shook hands. To make matters weirder, the guy's last name was also Palmer. Yeah. Ken was from Brownsville, Minnesota, and they, the two of them, after, like, awkwardly shaking hands and introducing themselves, started to go through their family trees, because clearly they're related somehow, but they couldn't figure it out. Um, however, both of them had the same family story about fleeing from India to England, which also didn't seem like that could possibly be a coincidence. Um, he got his doppelganger's name and address, stuffed it into his pocket before he had to catch his train. And Ken tells us, if I had the sense God gave geese, I would have stopped right then and we could have spent some time together. Have you ever heard this phrase before? No. My family says it all all the time. Really? The sense God gave a goose. That's so funny. We have to call that this episode that. The sense God gave a goose? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, there we go. Guys from Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) It must be a a regional thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, I mean... Okay, so he's kind of hard on himself that he, like, got on his trip. I think he was just so flabbergasted. He couldn't really process what was happening. It was like, I've got to catch my train. Yeah, and then he dropped that piece of paper or whatever. Yeah, but the thing is, by the time he got on the train, the paper with that guy's address information is gone, and he couldn't remember the guy's first name, and he never saw his trouble again and was unable to track him down. So this segment was trying to find who his doppelganger was he had some like he was like i think he's from the east coast and maybe his name is james but clearly had been like so overwhelmed by the experience that he didn't hang on to any details mac was like this guy wasn't real (laughs) so did he was like the paper was gone did he see a ghost it seems a little ghostly is it a figment of his imagination was he slowly beginning of a dickens novel Yeah. yeah The sad thing is there's no update and Ken passed away at age 90 and we don't know if he ever found his double. You know, some people, whenever we do a and a people always ask, what's your favorite mystery or what's the one mystery you'd want solved? And I feel like this might top my list now. Like, I need to know how they were related. Okay, this is my theory, is that his dad had a second family. 
Could be. Because they like go through their family tree and they can't find a relation. And I was like, but you literally have the same last name and the same family story. You're right. I bet that's it. I feel like his dad has. And they're about the same age and they looked exactly alike. The same last name. So they could have been half brothers. And so I don't know if the dad was like using a different first name with his second family. And that's why they didn't immediately figure, you know, something like that. Right. You could do that before the internet. Yeah. I mean, this was in 43. Yeah. So like maybe sometimes their dad went by Bob and sometimes he went by John. So and dad was in the military too. He could have been. He's like, my dad's just a humble traveling salesman. If right. we don't see him half the year. Right. That's my theory. Yeah, I like this theory. Is that I gotta know. I gotta know. The dad had a second family. But it's wild. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that they didn't get a... They probably would have been great friends. Yes. <sighs> probably half brothers or something. Damn. I know. Okay, so now we're at the end of the episode and we have to rate a bylaw. All right, mysteriousness. Okay. Okay, um, this last one, very mysterious. Yeah, that's true. Actually, the plane one is kind of mysterious too. Yeah, which of these many plane crashes did he die in? Yeah. Which ones were real? Where's Pam's bot? I don't know how mysterious the Pam one is, but we don't we know where she is. Know. We don't know exactly what happened, so I'm going to say thumbs way up for this. Yeah, thumbs thumbs up. Reenactments. I actually loved them. I love That explosion? The explosion? Some money went into that. They clearly had a lot of fun with the explosion. I loved the, everything about the last segment, reenactment. It was great. The two men... The two men on the train platform. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Um, I love the video store reenactment. Those were great. That guy's truck is hilarious. I mean, just, yeah, no, solid, solid. Very good reenactments. Thumbs up. Yeah. Fashion. Really nothing super notable. Yeah. And the mustaches were sort of run on the mill. Yeah. Oh, I did have one more mustache I got to s- forgot to say from your dabonier <laughs> drug, drug dealer. dealer. There was a special agent, David, and his mustache. This is the worst mustache we've seen in a while. <laughs> it's like a weird semicircle. Yeah, I do it was remember like this too, now that you remind me. Too circular. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is called a travesty of justice. Because tra- <laughs> I hated it. All our mustache names are so negative. Well, I, I mean, uh, what can I say? It's because it's being interpreted by me. <laughs> It is understandable. No, I hate... This is the opposite of an MVM because I hated that mustache so much. It was unsettling. So does that mean a thumbs down for the fashion category? We usually yeah. we usually fold no, mustaches into fashion. absolutely thumbs down. Okay, so thumbs down for that. Um, Robert, Robert Stack. Okay, I'm going to say thumbs up. He wasn't in it enough, but he was so he happy was clearly, about the squirrel. Yeah, he was clearly... He saw himself <laughs> in a young squirrel. And also that shot where it's like, could you meet your double? <gasps> there he is again! <laughs> So silly. So silly. And you're he's right. like kind of grinning like, uh. You're right. Uh? I like that a lot. So thumbs yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, Okay, thumbs up. So this is overall a, a good episode. I, I mean, like it's, it's pretty solid. There's some real mysteries in here. Yeah, yeah. And I think you get a good mix of stuff. You get um, a missing person. You get this arson, which I, we haven't really had a arson turned murder case before to discuss. Marson. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we haven't had a good marson in a while. <laughs> Um, we've done debonair drug dealers, but were they called the squirrel? No. And I love this lost love. Yeah. I might even say this is a four. I think I'm leaning towards a four. I liked this one. I don't think you should skip any segment in this. We didn't get an mm, unnecessary no update. Up- update. Yeah. And the, it's a solid episode. The arson is sad, but also you should watch it just to like 
Remember these people and what happened? It's and interesting, and the reenactment is well done, and they interview the families, and, and yeah, yeah, I think it was good. Yeah, I'm gonna say four. four. I feel like we haven't had a four in so long. It's been a dry spell <laughs> because I think we get pickier and pickier. Also, yeah, the bar is raised, <laughs> and um, this one was just pretty enjoyable. I liked it. No real complaints mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, I know it's hard to believe. Okay, so um. Wow, we've been chatting for a while, but I'm going to do a quick recommendation, which I just finished reading the very popular book, Crying in H Mart, and I apologize that I do not know how to say this person's last name, because I've never heard it out loud. Michelle Zahner? Z-A-U-N-E-R? How would you say that? Zahner? Yeah. Okay. I think I, I probably would. I don't know if that's right either. I don't know that I've heard it out loud. I apologize if that's incorrect. Anyway, this book is um has done very well. This is a food, sort of food-related memoir um, by the musician who um is the face of the band Japanese Breakfast. I think she does the singing and guitar and writes all the songs. I actually didn't know that when I requested this book from the library. I just heard that it was good, and I was on the list to get it for, like, a year probably i think there's it's very popular i've seen it on you know various youtube videos i um i it's actually overdue at the library and i saw that more than 300 people are waiting (laughs) for it so i really gotta bring it back it's only been a couple days everyone it's only been it's only slightly slightly overdue (laughs) i gotta forget i had to finish it (laughs) because i'll never it'll be another year you'll never get it again yeah um but anyway, you don't have to know anything about her musical work to appreciate the book. It's not really about that at all. It's specifically about her relationship with her Korean mother who died when the author was only like 25, pretty young. She died of cancer. So it's about her, her relationship with her mother and um, their connection through Korean food. Her mother is Korean. Her dad is white American. And so it's a bit about growing up biracial in the united states and Mm -hmm. feeling left out from that and not feeling that connected to korea but also that being a really important part of her life and how her and her mother bonded through food and how her mother was pretty judgmental and not particularly supportive of her in a lot of ways says me as an american (laughs) i was like i don't know about this woman but she loved her mother very much and this is kind of a tribute to her and like the time she spent caring for her as she was dying. Yeah. It's very sad, but it's extremely well written. Um, I saw a Goodreads review that described it as being written almost as if she didn't expect anyone else to read it. Interesting. And I would agree with that, that it has just a sort of very casual honesty to it that I think most people would not be comfortable with. Okay. Sort of revealing... Not in a, like, attention-seeking way, but just being very honest about the the conflicted emotions that she had during this time. And Sure, even, that's not how you would expect to... Right. Like, for example, like, a woman, uh, a friend comes to help care for her mother for a long time, but then she ends up sort of resentful of this woman spending so much time with her mother mm. when they don't have that much time left, right? Yeah. So on the one hand, she's like, well, it's great that you're here helping, but on the other hand, like... I wish I was getting this time, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just very honest about things like that. I think it's written in a very simple but super effective way. Like the use of language is so good where it's very readable, but it just conveys a lot. And I think that's a very 
hard thing to do. Oh, definitely. So I would definitely recommend it. I felt like it lived up to the hype. I had heard only good things and I was like, well, I'll read it. But, you know, how could it really be that good? And I actually thought it was great. Um, I think I would have probably gotten more out of it if I have lost lost a parent, which sure. I have not. And I'm not Asian American. Are you going to read the Jeanette McCurdy book next? Yes. Oh, my God. So the, the, you just, just go to another hyped grief memoir? I feel like so. Samantha's referring to the hit book, I'm Glad My Mom is Dead, which is kind of probably the total opposite of this book in a way, because... He sounds uh, like it. <laughs> this was a, like much more of a loving tribute of a complicated relationship. And I'm sure the Jeanette one is too, but it's literally called yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm Glad My, my Mom's, mom's dead. dead. Yeah, Because her mom, if you don't know, was so abusive and terrible uh-huh. that her death is like allows her to be free and live her own life for the first time. Um, and I do really want to read that. It I've heard nothing incredible. but good things. We were talking about it at our last book club meeting and I don't gravitate towards memoirs generally, but I think I'm going to read it just because everyone is and it sounds like it's really good. And also she reads the audiobook. If you get the audiobook, apparently she reads it. So I'm into that. I also want all of the Nickelodeon goss. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I want so all of the detail, the juicy details about all of that. So I don't know how much that, of that is in there. But I also just the cover is so good. It's like almost like a Sweet Valley High cover, but it's her holding this like lavender colored colored urn. Yeah. That would, you know, supposedly her mother. Um, oh, so good. What a great choice. Yeah, I think I'm going to read that. Power month, to her. So maybe you'll get my review. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like this would be a good, if you don't generally like memoirs, I feel like this book would be good to read anyway, because it's so focused on a singular time that it reads more like a novel and a little less like, let me tell you my whole life story, because it has a pretty narrow focus. Yeah. And you get to learn a lot about Korean food, which made me hungry. And (laughs) oh, uh, yeah, gosh, yes. (laughs) um, So that was cool, too. Nice. Awesome. That's a really good recommendation. Do you have a recommendation? I was trying to think about what I was going to recommend. And the only thing that came to mind is that we, Travis and I just finished watching that documentary about the 1999 um, Woodstock Festival. Oh, called yeah. Called Trainwreck. Have you watched it? I have not. I mean, I remember it when that happened. It is wild. It's wild. Uh, just like the footage that they have. It's like kind of like a fire festival <laughs> documentary yeah, because yeah. It's, it was it was a it was as the title implies train wreck um but it, i can't describe it as anything other than it is like watching a train it is like that phrase of watching a train wreck and you cannot tear your eyes away i really liked it i thought it was a wild ride the whole way through um if you haven't watched it and you're looking for something Give it a try. I try. I think I told you last night that I tried to watch the Netflix documentary about John McAfee last night, and that was like such a bizarre experience yeah, that I quit terrible. halfway through the first episode. <laughs> that's awful. So don't watch that. That's my anti recommendation. <laughs> uh, really good. If you have been yearning for another fire festival documentary and you haven't had anything I mean, scratch that itch, which I kind of, I kind of do. I mean, I loved that era. Um, we're all just waiting for a guy to totally calmly and rationally look dead in the camera and be like, I was there willing to suck his dick to get that avian water through customs. <laughs> there isn't a moment like that in this documentary. Okay, I mean, how, could there, there how could there be? That is the documentary moment of the century. But there are some very clueless 
dopes who <laughs> were really just like, oh, yeah, it's just going to be another peace and love, man, and blah, 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 even though it was, like, not ever going to be that. And even, like, the way they designed it was, like, very capitalistic. Sure. But at the same at the same time, they they were, like, instead of security, they, like, had these, like, teenage volunteers who oh were, God. like, doing ecstasy. And this, this one guy they interviewed, um, he... <laughs> he was walking around wearing it was like the peace patrol or something is what they he was like these yellow shirts and they this is what they had instead of security and there was like thousands hundreds of thousands of people here right and uh instead of security they had these teenagers walking around i, I can't even imagine what they were paying them but he said that some drunk guy came up to him and was like hey what does that shirt get you and he lied and was like oh it gets you backstage you can meet the artist all this blah blah, blah. and so he sold his t-shirt oh to this God. guy he had another one in his car and so he was like he may have had a couple and so he was like selling his t-shirt or like trading them for drugs or whatever like that is what was going on at this it's just wild the whole way through it's tragic. There is uh, there's assaults that happen. I mean, it's not all like fun and games. Obviously, this also the place like burned to the ground. No, I I vaguely <laughs> recall from '99. Yeah, just how terribly it went, and yeah, how corporate it was, and mm-hmm. like bottled That's all water was so expensive that everybody was like passing out from dehydration. Yes, and- well, so many of the vendors left because they were, you know, it was like a it was like a whole weekend riot. Like it was wild, and the the musical acts were also like inciting the crowd too. They would be Absolutely, like, yeah. they would be like, look, can you please like tone it down or ask the crowd to like calm it down or whatever. And some of the acts would just straight up be like, fucking tear the place down and just like whipped the crowd into a I'm frenzy. Not even the tiniest bit surprised. So like a lot of the vendors left. And so there ended up, so the water was contaminated basically like no one could drink it. Like you would turn on the tap and the free water would be brown. Ugh. And so, and then like all of the vendors were leaving so there ended up only being like a couple like vendors left that were selling water and they just price gouged the heck out of like water and so like yeah everyone was on everyone was drinking all weekend they were on drugs they weren't drinking water they were staying up all night it was super hot and then yeah they were just passing out and getting trampled and at the concerts I've been to recently at bigger venues there have been security people just walking around handing out free bottled water which I think is which really is great. The, because a good thing to do because you don't want people passing out in the mosh pit. <laughs> right. Like, honestly, it's a security hazard for them to have people collapsing and then try to figure out how, how to get them out. Right. Yeah. So and I think there's an issue where people don't want to lose their spot. So, so you stay where you are and you don't go get a, get some right. water. So yes. Now security guards are, and instead of saying this is going to be $7, they're just like, please take some free water. And I'm sure it's cost effective for them. It helps everybody stay yes. nice and hydrated. Also, this is Minnesota. You can honestly ask someone next to you to save their spot and they actually will. Yes, that's true. So <laughs> this just, is not happening at Woodstock 99. No. But Stay hydrated, everyone. Don't collapse in the mosh pit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't know. I thought it was a wild ride. I enjoyed watching it. I am curious. So, I feel like the original Woodstock is, like, so over-glamorized that there's, like, no way it could possibly have been that good. I don't know. I mean, this the, the guy that ran Woodstock 99 was describing it as, like, a religious experience. But he's also an unreliable narrator because he was... <laughs> 
<laughs> you can tell right from the beginning. Listen, but I, they don't really go into that in the documentary. I'm guessing, That's interesting. I'm guessing that, do we have any listeners that were the original Woodstock? I'm guessing, I've, I feel like it's not that many people. Everybody I acts like it. they were yeah. there, but I don't, I don't that's impossible. But I'm just, I feel like it's just one of those things that over time people have just like. Romanticized it. Yes. It. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Joni Mitchell wasn't even there. How great could it have been? <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, that brings us to the end. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You should join our Patreon if you want to get a sweet Mothman erotica notebook. Yes, if you want to get a Mad Lib, uh, I'm leaving you (laughs) letter. Uh, (laughs) I was the best lover you ever had, and you were the best lover I ever had, and now I'm leaving. The Mad Lib letter. But you'll have to sign up for what? How is that? A five dollar. That's a five dollar. You get a coloring sheet. You get a coloring sheet every month, which is a good deal, I think. Um, join the Lenny Briscoe fan club and send us <laughs> a pets. picture of your pet and we will name it. <laughs> uh, new service we're offering. <laughs> I think that's... If you're already a member of the Lenny Briscoe fan club, I feel like you can oh, send yeah, us... Oh yeah, reach out. Yeah. We'll do it. Absolutely. We'll name your pets. Yeah. Email us at perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com a picture of your pet. Um, we will any... let the name come to us yeah. in a vision. Yeah. We won't just name all of the dogs Betamax. Or uh, Johnny Pool Noodle. <laughs> As tempting as that may be. <laughs> um, recently, we had a poll on Patreon of what people wanted us to put our energy into, what we should do next. And surpri- to my surprise, the answer was Q&A episode. Which required the least amount of energy. Yeah, so like, I appreciate everyone who voted Fabulous. for that one. So if you have any questions for us yes. about the show. What are we going to do that? Is or, that going to be a... I don't know. I, I, we'll have to... Well, we have enough questions, I guess. Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, we need more questions. So if you have any questions for us, you could post those in the Facebook group or email them to us at perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com or on Put social it on, media. If you're on the Patreon, you can go find that post. Yeah, that would be helpful. So they're all in one place. But we just need enough questions to do a full episode. So mm-hmm. send in your questions. Um, and also, if you have a spooky story, maybe Email you us. saw something darker than the darkness, or you met new Michelle, send that in as well. Perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com, or perhaps it's you, perhaps it's you.com is the contact form. Um, you should be listening to this episode on Repod, the best podcasting app out there, because they gave us money. And you know what? No one is ever going to do that again. Honestly. No. No, no, we no, we got offered the dumbest shit. They actually gave us money, so they're our favorite. No one is ever going to make that mistake again. But Pod Repod has been so good to us and no one else will. <laughs> I just if you think you can beat that offer, try, but I Please send really, us your offer. I'm really doubtful. So make sure that you download and support them. It's um I like that you can comment on individual episodes and mm-hmm. you can timestamp your comments. And it does have perks other listening thingies don't have. So yes, is that it? Are we done? As far as I as far as I know, I think we're done. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Keep partying. <laughs>